those of you who don't know me, my name is Joel, one of the pastors here. Please uh, continue to pray for Pastor Josh and his recovery. Well, um, I get to pray, or get to preach to you this morning. And uh, maybe about a decade ago, I heard a sermon that was really impactful to me uh, regarding the giving of gifts. And I know years ago I even sent, I think, a couple of you here this sermon because I just found it so encouraging and helpful. And uh, if that's the case and some of these points seem familiar, uh, sorry about that. But uh, I wanted to go ahead and, and preach a similar sermon kind of down the similar vein for our church uh, as we think about this Christmas season. And so our text comes from Matthew 2, verse 11. You can turn there, but it's, it's just one verse, and it'll be on the screen. Matthew 2, verse 11. It says, And going into the house, this is the Magi, they saw a child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather this morning to worship you and to hear from you, to be in the presence of our God in a special way, to be in your presence with our brothers and sisters in such a way that we can't be when we're on our own. Father, there is no one who gives gifts like you. You are the perfect gift giver, and we ask you to give us the gift of being made more like your son. Help us be like you. Help us be generous like you. Help us be generous like you've been generous to us. Give us generous hearts. Help us live lives in such a way that we are gifts to others around us. We ask for your help this morning and during this Christmas season. Amen. Well, obviously, it's, it's Christmas season. And uh, during this season, gift-giving consumes like our, just consumes so much of our time, right? Lots of shopping going on. Gift exchanges, secret Santa swaps with cousins and siblings, as you might see once a year. White elephant gift exchanges with your youth group, taking your kids to Walmart to pick out a gift for their siblings. Husbands doing their best to not buy a lame gift for their wives. For most of us, our lives have been consumed with gift-giving during Christmas season, some even and more than others. My brother was born just a couple days after Christmas, and then there's the age-old debates, you know, is it, is it better or worse to have a birthday close to Christmas? Do you, do you get better gifts because people are buying birthday and gifts together, or do you get gypped because they're giving you one-and-a-half gifts? You know, the mall is busier than usual. Packages are piling up on front porches. Our guest room in our house becomes Santa's secret workshop, and it gets piled with Amazon packages and gifts and wrapping paper and tape during the month of December. Billions of dollars are spent in this season. Tons of energy is given to gift giving. This is gift giving season in our culture. But you ever stopped and asked yourself why? Why? Why do we give gifts during this Christmas season? Most of us know it's just what you do during Christmas. And who's going to complain about giving stuff and getting stuff? I like getting stuff. Let's just do it. Maybe that's you. Some Christians, they don't like gift giving. They think it distracts from the true meaning of Christmas, remembering and worshiping 
God for sending Jesus to earth to redeem his people. So what are the benefits of this gift-giving season? Are there any? What are the pitfalls? Are there dangers for Christians? And if so, what are they? Do we know them, or do we think we know them, but we don't know them? How should we think about gift-giving? Now, any Christian with any small amount of maturity knows that this season is full of greed, right? The people who hate Jesus are happy to use Jesus for profit and are whoring Jesus out for money. Of course, that's wicked. But regardless of the consumerism about it that kind of runs this gift-giving machine in our culture, it still causes us as Christians to have to think critically about gift-giving and ask some of the questions that I've already mentioned. And Scripture talks about gifts, and it can help us think about this giving season, not just for this Christmas season or not just for birthdays, but how we live our lives year-round. Now, most of us are familiar with the Christmas story in the Bible. The Magi came and they gave gifts to Jesus. We don't know exactly when they came, but it wasn't Christmas night like the nativity scenes kind of make you think about. We know it wasn't because in verse 11 it says they went into a house. So now Jesus is somewhere in a house and we know know, the shepherds were there in the night. But Matthew 2.11 is a different time and the Magi come and bring gifts and we know Herod wanted to kill the boys that were two and under. So this is sometime within Jesus' first two years on earth. Now, if you've been in our culture, you're probably familiar with the gifts. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. And because those three gifts are mentioned, we're also told about three wise men. We don't know if there were actually three wise men. There could have been three, there could have been five, there could have been two. We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us that detail. So these men, these magi, we don't know who they are exactly either. We just know that they're, they're distinguished foreigners. And they've come to bring gifts to Jesus. And these are really valuable gifts. They bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, I don't need to explain what gold is. You know what gold is. But do you know what frankincense and myrrh are? Kids? Youth group? You guys know what that is? You buy it for your parents? Both frankincense and myrrh, they're obtained from trees. Frankincense is something that you would burn. Like incense. It would smell really nice. There are a couple times in Scripture when it's talked about frankincense being burned. And myrrh, it was this sort of spice. It was kind of used for various things. It was used in embalming and burials. Joseph and Nicodemus, when they go uh, to the burial of Jesus, uh, they're using myrrh. The wine that Jesus was offered when he was on the cross that was mixed with myrrh. These gifts were kind of expensive. They were treasures is what Scripture calls them. Treasures aren't trash. But still, the question remains, why do we give gifts? Why do we, why do, it's Jesus' birthday. Why do you get a gift? Why are we giving gifts if it's Jesus' birthday? That's not usually how birthday parties work, right? Couldn't someone just argue? You guys are just making Christmas about yourself. You're just getting gifts for one another. It's not about Jesus. 
We shouldn't give gifts because it takes away from the meaning of Christians. Couldn't somebody argue that? Couldn't you hear some zealous Christian arguing that way? Well, how should Christians think about it? What's that, that question? That's a fair question to ask, right? We should be thinking about it. Is gift giving a problem for a Christian? Well, I would like to argue this morning that it is not a problem for Christians. It's not a problem if you understand what God is doing here and what he is doing in history. It's only a problem if you do not understand the body of Christ and what God is expecting from us. If you fail to understand that, then you can't understand gifts properly. And if you can't understand gifts properly, you can't understand grace properly. If you can't understand grace properly, you're not going to understand anything properly. Okay, I'll say that again. If we, if we fail to understand what the body of Christ is and what God is expecting of us, then we're not going to understand gifts correctly. If we don't understand gifts, we don't understand grace, we don't understand grace, then it's all meaningless. But I do not think it's a problem, and I actually think it's a good thing for Christians. And so to begin to argue for this, that's what I'm doing, right? I'm making an argument. That's what pastors do. They argue for something in hopes to convince with biblical arguments of a certain belief. And so to begin to make this argument that this is, it's not a problem for Christians, it's actually very good for Christians, I want to start my argument with regard to the great commandments. In Matthew 22, it'll be up on the screen, Jesus is asked by a lawyer, he says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. Now these commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor, they are not an either-or kind of command. Okay, this is what I really want to get in your head today. Those commands are not an either-or deal. They're packaged together. You cannot separate them. You cannot ask somebody, would you like to love God, or would you like to love people? It's not allowed biblically. And if you just say, hey, I'm going to love God. I'm not going to love my neighbor. Well, guess what? You don't actually love God, because you don't care to obey him when he tells you to love your neighbor. And if you say, I'm just going to love my neighbor. I don't need God. I don't need to love God. This is what most of the world does, right? I don't, don't need God to love my neighbor. I'm just going to love my neighbor. Well, you can't actually love your neighbor well. You won't know how to love them. You won't love them correctly, which is to say, you'll probably, in many cases, end up harming them instead of helping them. So to give an example of this, our city has a group for youth. Our, our city has this group for youth, and it used to go by PRISM. Now it's called Kaleidoscope Youth Group. Okay? Kaleidoscope Youth Group describes itself as a youth-led organization serving LGBTQIA and allied youth ages 12 to 20 in Bloomington, Indiana. Their goal is to help love the youth of our community what they claim to be wanting to do. But they've detached themselves from loving God. And in doing so, they'll never actually love the youth of our community well. Actually, they're helping and assisting in the injuring of our community and the youth. Now, that's 
maybe a more extreme example, but the point is, if you say, I'm going to love people. I don't need to love God. I'm not going to love God. You'll never actually be able to fully love people correctly. And in many cases, you'll actually end up doing them harm because you won't know. Okay? Another way I've heard described is, is this. It's like a violin and a bow. Okay? You can't ask somebody, would you like to play the violin or would you like to play the bow? They go together. You can't play the bow and you can't really fully play the violin without the bow. Right? They're, they're two things, but they're one unit. Loving God and loving people, two commands, one unit. Same thing. It's not an either-or type of relationship. If it's not an either-or type of relationship, then the question becomes, well, how do I, how do I give to Christ? After all, it's his birthday, what we're celebrating in Christmas time. So how do you give a gift to Christ? Like the Magi gave a gift to Christ. Jesus is seated at the right hand. How do you give, how do you give a gift to Jesus if he's up there and you're right here? Can you mail God a cashier's check up to heaven? How does a Christian give gifts to God? Well, the Bible answers this question. It tells us in many ways how to do this, and it's a major part of the New Testament. God has given to you so that you may give to others. He's given to us all in many ways. He's given, for many of us, he's given salvation, kind of general for his people, but he's also given to you very specifically in ways that are different than other people, and those are to be used to bless others, to give to him and to others. So when we give gifts, we can mess up gift giving. We can mess it up in three ways. One, you can be a grump. Okay? Ever been to a Christmas party where one of the family members is just grumpy and just ruins the whole thing? Always complaining about something? This is Judas, right? When Jesus' feet are being washed. Why are we wasting this? We could have sold it. We could have given it to the poor. You can be a grump. The second way, you try to separate the violin and the bow. You try to give to neighbor but not to God. This is what lots of people do during this time. Horizontally, I give to Carl, Carl gives to me. Great, we're on our way. I give to my coworker, just, they just give. They, everybody's giving a gift, they're giving a gift, they're giving, not even thinking about anything. Just, I know I need to buy a gift. Here you go. Very horizontal. Number three, you can mess it up by trying to give to God, but not man. This is a trap for super zealous Christians, often younger in their faith. And though they mean well, they might say, you know, we're going to make Christmas, we're going to make Christmas actually about Jesus this year. Christmas is too consumeristic. We've lost the true meaning of Christmas, so our family isn't doing gifts this year. We're going to remember Jesus. We're going to focus on Jesus. We're not going to focus on ourselves. All this gift giving is just to focus on ourselves. Because this gift, it only takes the focus off of Christ. We're not doing it. Mark 7, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's rebuking them. And he tells them that they have a fine way 
of rejecting the commandments of God. Okay, so they were saying, you know, this gift that the law requires me to give to my father and mother, this gift that I am supposed to give to my father and mother, I give it to God instead. It's Corbin. It's going to God. I know I'm supposed to give it. I know it says I'm supposed to give it to mom, but I am super spiritual. My gift isn't going to my mom and dad. It's going to God. That's what they were doing. And they thought they were super spiritual. They thought they were honoring God and pleasing God. They were not pleasing God, and Jesus was rebuking them for that. They think they're being so spiritual by loving God, and instead, they're really dishonoring God and not loving their father and mother. So those are the three ways that you can sin by giving gifts. You can be a grump. You can try to just, just very horizontally not think anything of it. Just I, I do this transaction, give to man, or I can think I'm just giving to God and not man. So how do you give gifts correctly? What's the right attitude that a Christian should have towards gift giving? How can a Christian still give a gift to Jesus? Well, you give to God, you give to God by means of your neighbor. That's the only way to think about gift giving without ruining it in some direction. You give to God by giving to your neighbor. That's the crux of my argument that I'm going to make. One of the primary ways you give to God in this life is by giving to your neighbor. This is how God has created it to be, and I hope to show you that in Scripture and convince you of that, that this is true. You know, in Esther 9, God delivered the people, and one of the things that they do in celebration, as they start this festival, is they give gifts to the poor, and they send food to one another, portions to one another. Okay, so your neighbor bears the image of God. So how can you give a gift to God? You reach up by reaching down or across. You reach up by reaching down or across. No small gift, no matter how trivial, is forgotten by God. if It's given in the right way. God remembers even the cup of cold water given to the little ones in Matthew 10. And you, he rewards you for it. So no small gift, no matter how small, is a, is a waste if it's given in the right way. My in-laws, they put in their stocking stuffers every year, they put these little tiny, they're like packaged like little tiny squares. So they're, they're just like washcloths that have some cartoon character like Cinderella or you know, Iron Man on it. They give it every year. I have no idea why. We have like a giant bin in our uh, closet that are just filled with these washcloths. And it's just a silly gift that they give. But even that, given in the right way, can be a gift given to God. But every gift given wrongly is a waste. Given with the wrong attitude or the wrong heart, it's thrown away, it's a waste in the end. <clears throat> Luke 12, 34 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So where do we lay up our treasure? <clears throat> we lay it up in heaven. Okay? How do you get your treasure up to heaven? How do you do it? And one pastor said that we, we see our relationship with God kind of mirrored in our relationships with others. Okay? Let me ask you this question. Are you the type of person <clears throat> who always gets bad customer service? 
whether it's at restaurants or Target or talking with Amazon or talking with your internet provider, are you the type of person who consistently seems to get bad service and you're constantly telling your wife or your husband or your friend or your parent about the bad service that you received? Some of you are like this. Are you the type of person who always has something going wrong in your life? It's like you're going to the store and they say, there's Chris, I cannot wait to give him bad service. I could see some of you smiling a little bit as I was saying that. I'm not sure if it's true because, or you're smiling because it's true about you or it's true about your spouse, but I'm assuming that it's true of some of us. I know it's true of some of us, including myself at times. But we know people like this. We've done it ourselves. They're tempted to always be kind of grumpy about something. And oftentimes you can, you can measure someone's relationship with God with how they're not getting along with others. The person who can never seem to get along with others is likely not getting along well with God. In a sort of way, our relationship with others, it mirrors our relationship with God. Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so maybe you've heard a pastor say something like this in the past, you should act towards others how God has acted towards you. Pretty basic concept, you should act towards others. God forgave you, so forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Or you should act horizontally with others how God has acted vertically with you. That's what Ephesians is arguing for. And so when Jesus talks about these two commands, to love God and to love others, he says that the second command is like the first. That's what he says. He says it's like the first. The second is like the first. They're similar. They're connected. Some translations say uh, the second is like unto the first. They're connected like the bow and violin. Think of this passage from 1 John 4.12. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. How is God's love perfected in us? How do you have the love of God perfected in you? By loving one another. And that's good for us, because loving others is messier than the hyper-spiritualized, I'm just going to love God. You actually have to love people to love God and have the love of God perfected in you. You can't just say, I'm going to lock myself in the house. I'm going to read my Bible for an hour every day. I'm going to listen to only Christian music and read books. not going to watch any TV. I'm going to be happy on my own, loving God. The love of God will not be perfected in you if that is what you do. It doesn't work like that. You want to love God? Well, the, then love the person in your family that has gotten on your nerves. You want to love God? You want to see the love of God perfected in you? Then love the coworker who's always taking up your time. Or love your neighbor who's kind of weird and talks too much. God says, if you want to see the love of God perfected in you, then you need to love others here who are around you. You want the vertical love to grow? Well, it will happen. It is connected, not disconnected, from the love of the horizontal. We want to try to disconnect it. We want to just say, we can love God. I can grow my love for God. I don't need to grow in love for others. You know, those are just, they're not connected not how scriptures talks. It's not how God has made it to work. 
Even a few verses later in, in 1 John 4.20, it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If someone is awful at loving others, they're awful at loving God. That's just how it is. I don't think that should be that controversial for us. There's a correlation between, between them because they're connected. If you love God, you also love your neighbor. But if you're terrible at loving your brother, it's because you don't love God. How can you say you love God? How can you say you love God? You can't see God. How can you say you love God who you can't see when you can't even love your brother who's right in front of you you can touch and do something with? That's the argument that John's making. So if you say, I'm not giving any gifts to anyone this Christmas because I love God, and I'm going to make this Christmas about God. Well, I'd like to argue that you're removing an instrument that God has given to you in order to give him gifts. Okay? And the instruments are not the gifts. Okay? You're removing the instrument. What the instrument is that God has given to you in order to give gifts to him is your wife, it's your husband, it's your children, it's your next-door neighbor, it's your mom, your dad, your friend, your cousin, your acquaintance. Your neighbor is whoever God has put in front of you. You love God by loving your neighbor. So how do you give a present to Jesus this Christmas? You do it through the person in front of you. You love God through your neighbor. And one of the ways... God wants you to love your neighbor is to be generous towards them. One of the ways you love others is with a generous heart. Now that doesn't mean I'm saying you need to go and spend all your money and buy tons and tons of gifts for your kids to prove that you love them. You're gonna, that's the only way you can be generous. It's got to be really expensive. You've got to buy a lot. That's not what it means. Of course not. My point is that the grace of God has been generous and intentional to you. So therefore, be generous to others. Don't give pointless gifts this year for Christmas. Okay? Think about the gifts that you're giving. Don't give a gift that you don't care about, that the person's not going to care about, it's going to end up in their closet for a year, then they're going to cake it out and be like, we never use this and throw it away. Okay? Do your best to be intentional. Think about the person. Okay? But don't be tricked at the same time. Don't be tricked by the marketers and think, I have to buy lots of toys and gifts for my kids, otherwise I, I just don't love them. For some of you, that's more tempting than others. God has given you the means that you have, and he hasn't called you to go outside of those means in order to be generous. You don't have to go into a bunch of debt to be generous to your children or to your loved ones. Don't fall for that trick thinking the only way to be generous is by giving lots or giving some expensive gift. It's a lie. Now, just because I've talked down on the marketers who are trying to steal money and make people overspend, don't think that I'm saying that all the stores are stupid and worthless. I would actually argue that these stores are a gift of God's grace to you. When talking about this idea of merchants, I remember one pastor said, you know, when you pray for your daily bread, you know, how do you end up getting your daily bread? You get it by a merchant, right? That's how God answers your prayer. 
These merchants are a form of God's grace to you. So I'm not saying you need to despise them just because there's abuses. Just don't be duped by them. But you should thank God for many cases, in many cases, that there's places around you that can aid in your ability to love others. Like, you should actually thank God. It is a blessing of God that Kroger exists so that you can go and get food for your family and you don't have to grow everything. It is a gift of God to you that Target exists so you can go buy a toy for your child and you don't have to be a woodworker like Carl in order to make something fun for your kid to play with. You should thank God for that. Don't only despise Christmas shopping and Black Friday because there's abuses. Some people trick people. Yes, that's terrible. But if you despise shopping in the crowd, you're headed down the road of just being the grump that I talked about earlier. Don't hate crowds and merchants just because there are abuses. Remember, when Jesus saw crowds, what did he do? He had compassion on them. And he loved them because they were sheep without a shepherd. So when you go to the mall this Christmas time, you ever sit around and stand around maybe while you're walking and think, I wonder how many people here have any clue of what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing. It's probably very few when you're at the mall. They've just been told in our culture, this is what you do, go do it, buy gifts. I don't, I don't know why, but I'm doing it. You shouldn't sit back and be like, everybody here doesn't know what they're doing. This is so stupid. It's all meaningless. Don't be the grump. Instead, you should act like Jesus, and you should have compassion on them, because they're sheep without a shepherd. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. I know they don't know what they're doing. I wish they knew what they were doing. That's how you should feel. You shouldn't sit back and then be less generous to them because they don't get it. Rather, you should be more generous to them, like Jesus was. He didn't scold the crowds because he, did, he didn't get it. Instead, he gave gifts to them. He blessed them. Those shopping aimlessly, they don't need to be scolded. You know, why are you wasting your time on these stupid gifts? It's all a waste. You don't really know the real meaning of Christmas. You're not focused on Jesus. All these things, blah, 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 blah. No, instead, you should give to them more. You should want to bless them more. Don't take what little they have no, give them more. Give them something better. These people need to understand more. They need to be given more. They're out shopping aimlessly because they don't have the gospel. They don't have a purpose. What else are they going to do? They want to have some sort of joy in their life. They don't have the purpose that you have. They don't have anything. They don't have anywhere to go but Jesus. So show them Jesus. Talk to them about Jesus. Don't be a grump and scold them. Help them understand it. Don't be Scrooge around the dinner, dinner table this year with your extended family and talking about how people are mindlessly buying gifts and not focusing on the true meaning of Christmas. Instead, bless the people in those conversations. Tell them about the gospel. Help them understand the meaning. Let me tell you the real reason that we're celebrating. Let me tell you what I think about when I'm buying a gift for my child. The greatest gift that you could give someone is telling them the grace of the gospel, whether it's Christmas time or not. So don't hesitate to give that to them. You know, I mentioned that God keeps track of all the little gifts. You know, Matthew, Matthew 10, 42, it says, 
And, whatever, and whoever gives these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he, is my, my, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Even a cup of cold water to a little one. God remembers that. And you won't lose your reward for that on the last day. He keeps track of all the gifts that you've given. Okay? Even the cup of cold water. And then Proverbs... Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the one who has come from, down from heaven. He is the one who came from a far country. He is the one bringing good news. He is the one who has given us a cup of cold water to our dry and weary souls. So this is how God has acted towards you. He has, been, he has given you graciously. He's given generously to you. By giving you this good news, and if, if God has acted and graced you with the gospel, then you too be the ones who are generous and, and gracious to others. And we know that when we are generous and gracious towards others, we're not just being generous and gracious towards them, we're giving a gift to Jesus. When you give a gift to your child on his birthday, you're also giving a gift to Jesus, if you're thinking about this properly. That's why I keep saying that you cannot separate loving God and loving others. And I think this will continue to become more clear for some of you if it's not clear yet. 2 Corinthians 9, 12 through 15. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So the gift that they're given, it's, uh, it's not only supplying the needs of the saints that they had, but it's overflowing into many thanksgivings to God. It's not just a physical gift that you gave, but it's also overflowing into the spiritual. Verse 13 continues, but their approval of this service, they will, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. God gave an inexpressible gift. The Father sent down the Son from heaven. To be born of a virgin, he lived a perfect life. He didn't come here to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He obeyed it perfectly. And then, as a sacrifice for you, he died for you in your place that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for your sin that you should have had to pay. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He gave you the gift. He gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now you get to imitate towards others the same heart that God has towards you. God has given you an inexpressible gift. And I love that the gospel is an inexpressible gift because even as I'm recounting it and, and talking about it, I still just cannot convey, and it doesn't even convey into our hearts sometimes, how wonderful this gift is from God. Before Christ, you had done nothing to please God. You could not please God. In fact, your heart was contrary to him. You were his enemy. You should have had to pay for your sins in an eternity in hell. And instead, you now have freedom in Christ. You're no longer slaves to your sin like you once were. What did you do to deserve such kindness from God? God has been nothing but abundantly generous to you. And it's not possible to express how good this gift is. It's inexpressible. It's generous beyond words. And God has done this to you, so now you go do it to others.
As you saw in 2 Corinthians 2, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, when a Christian gives to another, when a Christian gives to another Christian, that overflows into thanksgiving to God because God is the one who made it possible. This Christian had a need. They needed God to meet this need. God met it by another Christian giving to that Christian. So thanksgiving goes to God for meeting the need and creating the means necessary for that need to be met. Our gifts to one another overflow in praise to God. So as I begin to close this thing down, I have a couple things that I want to leave you with. Remember, 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 you cannot separate loving God and loving your neighbor. You just can't. They're connected like a bow and violin. God wants you to serve him by loving others. God gave you the gospel generously, and now you go and give generously in the same way to others. And then I want to make one more argument that might seem a little weird, at least at first, but I think it will help kind of connect the dots for everybody, and kind of when it clicks, it'll, it'll just click. I want to encourage you this Christmas to wrap your Christmas presents. Seems kind of like a weird thing for a pastor to say from the pulpit. Why is my pastor telling me that I should wrap my Christmas presents? Why? Like, why does it matter? Why would he say that? Well, I want you to wrap your Christmas presents so that you can surprise Jesus. And now some of you are like, this sermon was a little weird beforehand, but I was kind of tracking with it, but now I know that this guy is just really weird. Surprise Jesus! How can you surprise Jesus? Jesus knows what's in the gift. How am I going to surprise Jesus, Joel? God sees everything. Jesus is never surprised. But Jesus is never hungry either, right? Not thirsty. Jesus isn't in jail. Jesus isn't naked. And you're like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, look at Matthew 25. This is Jesus speaking. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. And I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did you see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus isn't hungry, he's not thirsty, he's not naked, and he's not in prison, but he says, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, brother, my brothers, you did it to me. So when is Jesus surprised? Every time a little girl opens a gift and she gets Polly Pocket and her face goes like, When is Jesus surprised? Every time a little two-year-old boy rips open the paper of a big Tonka truck that he's going to go out into the yard and fill with dirt till his heart's desire. And when that boy is surprised, so is Jesus. And he says, thank you for my gift. So this loving others, it has to be connected in your heart. It must be connected. Loving God and others is connected. And when you give gifts to God, 
You give it to them by giving gifts to others. When did anyone ever surprise Jesus? When you surprised your wife? When you did that thing for your neighbor that they just didn't expect? When did you give a a gift to Jesus? When you gave a gift to others out of the same generous heart that God has had towards you, then you've given the gift to Christ as well. So this Christmas, don't be a Scrooge. Don't be grumpy about all the hustle and bustle and how people don't understand. Help others think rightly. And give the gift of adding meaning to all this gift giving. Don't be a Scrooge. How silly would it be that we've been given the best gift ever by the best gift giver of all time and we're the ones walking around grumpy while everybody else is having a great time at parties and they're drinking it up, they're eating it up, they're having a wonderful time, they're laughing and we're the ones with the best gift and we're the grumpy ones. How silly is that? We should be the ones with the most joy. Don't let the marketer steal all the joy of Christmas. We have the real joy. We have the true joy. We have the best joy. We have a purpose that the world does not have in this life or that they do not know about it yet. And the gift giving is so much more meaningful for us. So I'm going to, and you should too, I'm going to have more joy than the rest of the other unbelieving world is this Christmas season, okay? Let's pray. God, forgive us for the many times that we have not thought rightly about gift giving and help us remember that you have been the greatest gift giver, giving us the greatest gift of the gospel. And for those who have not trusted in the gospel and have not trusted in you for the forgiveness of their sins, I pray that they would even today do so and they would have a new purpose in their life and a new purpose in gift giving this Christmas. Father, let our desire to love you and others Lead us to be generous gift givers this Christmas season and year round. Give us opportunities this Christmas to remind our children of the point of Christmas, of the, of the reason why we give gifts. Give us opportunities this Christmas to share the greatest gift, the gospel of Jesus Christ with others and our family and other loved ones and friends. God, would you help more in our town understand and find out the true meaning of Christmas, the true reason why they're buying gifts for one another. Use us to bless them and share this gift with them. We ask for your help in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's no closing song this morning, so thank you for being here. If we can pray for you, please let us know. Have a great week. We'll hopefully see you tonight. You're loved.